following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Father, for covering it all. Not part of it. Not just some, but every last problem. You paid for every sin. You didn't pay to get it started and I have to complete it or finish it. You covered it all. All of my guilt, all of my sin was cared for at the cross. Thank you for that, Father. Bless this time, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Retrieve your Bibles, if you would, please. And open them to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. First Corinthians, chapter 11. As we looked last week, we began our study in the two ordinances. This week, we're going to deal with the second of the two ordinances within the local New Testament church, that of Lord's Supper. Look with me, if you would, please, at verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Thank you. You may be seated. If you'll take a look at just a couple things with Lord's Supper, uh, there's a couple uh, uh, things that we want to really kind of remind ourselves of. Last week, we looked at two ordinances. There are only two ordinances within the local New Testament church. Now, an ordinance is different. Uh, our understanding as far as ordinances and sacraments and things of that nature. Um, the two ordinances within the New Testament church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, an ordinance is something that is commanded by the Lord to his followers to do in obedience to him. This is not something that we do in order to gain something or for any extra merit. It is something that we do as a uh, response 
in uh, to obedience and in salvation as far as uh, everything is concerned. We're not trying to gain some more merit. We have all the merit that we could ever imagine, and that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this for just a moment. Many times we don't understand the simple doctrine of justification. Now, I say the simple doctrine of justification not because the doctrine in and of itself is simple, but because of that one specific doctrine which takes care of understanding most of the rest. Thank you. As far as salvation is concerned, we have three different aspects, the first being that of uh, justification, the second being sanctification, and then the third being glorification. There we go. Now we're alive. All right. So justification is that first part. When one is saved, born again by the Spirit of God, they are justified, made right before God. And so when God looks at me in my sinful natural state, he must turn away. He is perfect. He is pure. He cannot look upon sin, and therefore he has to turn away. There needs to be something covering in order for me to be able to approach God, in order for God to be able to allow me into his presence. This is what takes place at the moment of salvation. I am robed in Christ's righteousness. That is an immediate act. That is something that takes place the moment that I have placed my trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and I accept Him into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I am now made right. The Bible tells us that He, talking about God, made Him, God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, when Christ was on the cross, God viewed that location as the seat of all sin and therefore poured out all of his wrath against sin on the man, Jesus Christ. In order that we might be able to be viewed by God as his son's righteousness. When Jesus said to Thomas, uh, Thomas says, how, do we, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know that? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. In other words, as I try to approach God in my own works, my own abilities, my own strength, my own power, I'm trying to be good enough for God to welcome me in. I'm trying to be good enough for God to accept me into his presence. I'm trying to pray enough. I'm trying to give enough. I'm trying to earn my way. I can't do that. No matter how hard I try, when I enter into his presence, one, one sin is enough to make him have to turn away. And I am not able to be in the presence of God. But when Christ's payment is applied to my life, I am not approaching him on my own basis, on my own merit. I am approaching him through his son. And so when I enter into his presence, he looks and he sees my son. That's justification. Just as if I had never sinned. He sees me 
perfect as his child. And as Paul said, when he was writing to the Romans in in chapter eight, he says, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. And if God's going to make me and declare me just, who can say otherwise? That's justification. When we come to the ordinances, we are not trying to earn that because Christ already purchased that for us. And so the idea that I have to do certain things in order to finish the salvation, complete the work, or what have you, completely misses justification. Sanctification is that daily, for the rest of my existence on earth process of being made more and more like his son. And so the saving work, I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am justified. Sanctification, I am being saved day after day from the power of sin. Sin has no more hold on me because I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me enabling me to do and to will. But then last, when I shuffle off this mortal coil and I am with my Lord for eternity, I will be glorified. That's not going to happen this side of heaven, folks. I'm looking forward to that day when everything, (laughs) all sin is gone. I don't have this struggle anymore, and I am saved from even the presence of sin. Looking forward to that. So where do these ordinances come in? They are commands by the Lord to his followers to do in obedience to him as their Lord. But they are pictures of what he did. We looked at this with baptism. Just as a quick review, baptism, a command of the Lord. We saw that in Matthew chapter 28, baptism for believers to be immersed in water, the, the, the actual word baptizen means to immerse, to take under, to go under. Uh, it's also for believers, and so it's something that takes place after salvation. I've witnessed to many an infant in my day. I've never heard one of them reply that they will accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Mostly, they just look at me, that gummy grin. And it's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection that took place at salvation. When I stand in the water, I am picturing the cross. I believe that Christ died. I go under, and he was buried and he comes back out, I believe that he rose again. Similarly, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I am buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's baptism. So now looking at the Lord's Supper, likewise, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. The Lord's Supper is a command of the Lord for a believer to observe as a picture of what Christ did on the cross for us. Now, I want to be very bold 
the text that is given to us here in 1 Corinthians 11 is written in the imperative. And so this is not a suggestion. Rather, it is something that we are to do. Notice verse 6, or verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. There's a reason we are commanded to do it. Because it is a testimony of God. Now, Let's look at this as we go through this. Uh, the idea of whenever uh, uh, kind of implies an unspecified repetitive action. So, there's no specific timing or anything like this. It doesn't mean that every time we come together, we ought to observe the Lord's table. It doesn't mean that we ought to observe the Lord's table once a year. It doesn't even mean quarterly or monthly. It means as often as you do, do with purpose. And so here uh, we do monthly. Hasn't always been the practice. That when, uh, when COVID decided to rear its ugly head, we decided to spit in its face. And we decided we were going to have Lord's table. Understand something. There's no express biblical this is how often you do it. It's a practice that is established within each individual church. But beyond all of that, I want to look at more the whys behind the what's that we're doing right now. And let's understand what it is. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. Look at verse 24 and 25. It says, And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, talking about the bread, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, there are uh, several alternative views to what we refer to as a memorial. There are two main uh, alternative views which we reject for exegetical reasons. When we actually look at the exegesis, taking what is in the Word of God out and understanding what it's saying, not putting our own understanding into the Word of God, uh, we come to the idea that this is to be a memorial. Some views, uh, one view uh, understands that the elements uh, kind of transform uh, into the actual body and blood of Christ when the participants place it in their mouth. Uh, this view misunderstands the metaphor of this is my body, after the same manner also uh, took the cup saying this is my blood. The metaphor is given. He is not actually saying that it is the literal or it becomes the literal uh, body and blood. So the bread and cup do not literally become that of the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, it, it is a metaphor, and many times people that will take this stance, they miss the other metaphors in Scripture, such as John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light. That doesn't mean that, that Thomas Edison wrapped him in glass. All right. Uh, another metaphor is found in 
John 10, 7, where he, Jesus says, I am the gate. That doesn't mean he is literally a picket-fenced gate. Okay? Uh, other metaphors that are given, um, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. The word way is transliterated the road. That doesn't mean he's made of chip and tar. Uh, other metaphors can see all be seen all through. John 15, he says, I am the vine. That doesn't mean you can walk up to Jesus and pull grapes out of his armpit. We understand a metaphor is a metaphor. And we see what is being given to us through the metaphor. Another view, uh, Martin Luther uh, actually pr- promoted this view very highly wants to retain the actual presence of the body and blood of Christ with the elements while still maintaining that the elements remain bread and and wine or juice. Uh, As proposed by Martin Luther, the substance of the body and blood of Jesus coexists with the substance of the bread and wine in, in the Eucharist. We don't believe that either. It is a picture that is all. It's important for us to get the pictures. It's important for us to understand what the pictures represent. We believe these are symbols to help remind us. Now, in looking at the text before us, when he had given thanks, he broke it, talking about the bread, and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. It's important for us to catch these words. He says to do this as a way of remembering me. He doesn't say to do this as a way of taking me in. He doesn't say do this as a way of earning something. He doesn't say do this so that you can know me. He says do it in a way that helps you remember me. And so the metaphoric language is continued there. But see what is being uh, what is being remembered. The memorial of the Lord's death. His body is represented by the bread. Christ's body viewed as a substitute for us. If you were to keep your keep your hand or just uh, stick something in First Corinthians chapter ten and jump over to First Peter chapter two. First Peter toward the end. You remember we were in the book of Hebrews, then James, then 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse 24. Brother Dale, my first Greek word study was this verse. Went through and translated. And talk about fun. Sorry, I had to geek out for a minute. Look at verse 24 with me. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The body of Jesus Christ that was bruised, battered, and broken for you bought your salvation. And so when we come together in these moments of celebrating the Lord's table and we take that communion and it says that the Lord break the bread, he's saying, this is what's going to happen. 
I am going to be broken for you. He's saying to his disciples as he's instituting the Lord's Supper here, he's saying, this is going to take place. I am about to be broken. We look back at what Christ did for us some 2,000 years ago in that he was broken for us. His body was placed on that tree. The Greek word for his own body is the word sumati, and it brings to it the idea of the body or the location, the central hub, so to speak. His own self became the seat of all moral imperfection. It was all piled on him. Remember that. And so the second part of this memorial, back in 1 Corinthians, he says, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. I have heard some people fight tooth and nail, nasty and bitter, over whether it should be grape juice or wine. It's a cup. Get over it. There are certain parts of the world I was speaking with a missionary not too long ago. said, you can't get grape juice here. We use Coke. Some folks that want to fight over grape juice and wine, let them take that one on for a little bit. Well, that'll send something. Never mind. Says the memorial says his blood is represented by the cup. Says this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Note that this is the covenant, not that the blood that is represented by the cup, but the blood represents the covenant that is being made. Says this cup is the New Testament or the New covenant in my blood. If you were to look back in Hebrews, if you remember when we were studying in Hebrews, look at Hebrews chapter 9 and understand what Jesus is presenting to us. So often we get hung up on some of the specifics, but we need to understand what's being said here. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression uh, that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force... After men are dead, otherwise it is no strength at all while the tester liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. If you continue to read down through here, look at verse uh, 22. It says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And so we have the bread, we break it, 
And it's to remind us of the body of Christ that was broken for you. We have the juice. We take it to remind us of the blood of Christ that sealed the covenant with God. This is the New Testament in my blood. I want to notice a couple other things about this practice. Lord's Supper is for believers only. Believers only. First and foremost, if you were to look yet again at our text for this morning in 1 Corinthians 11, I want you to notice a couple things. At the end of verse 24, and at the end of verse 25, he makes a statement in remembrance of me. To get real elementary for, I like things simple. I'm a simple guy. I like to keep things simple. You can't remember someone you don't know. And so it is for believers, primarily for believers. Paul wrote this letter, if you look at 1 Corinthians, back at the beginning of the chapter, I want you to notice a couple of things that he says. He introduces Paul, chapter number 1, verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. He is speaking to the local New Testament church. So there's a couple assumptions that are being made here. First, he is talking to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with everyone in every place, that call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so uh, communion is not something that just everybody ought to just roll on in and let's just have as much fun as we can. And look, here's some juice, here's some bread. Let's see what we can get accomplished today. No, 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 my friend. This is something that the Lord gave to the local church to present the picture of what He did for us. Second, I want you to note that Paul is writing to the church. So church membership is implied. Now, since baptism is the path to membership, baptism should be a prerequisite. Now, I know some people are going to not like that. But I just got to give you what the Word of God presents here. If he is talking to those, and I've got it, we'll go over this a little bit more in depth here in just a moment. So before you write me off and decide I'm not listening to another word that guy says, and I'm going to start building my case to go up there and I'm a lambast him after church. Hold on. Give me a minute. As we see what we're getting here, I want I want us to think about something very carefully. God has given two ordinances to the local New Testament church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Should I baptize anyone without asking them some questions, getting to know them, and making sure they understand what baptism is, or should I just dunk anybody and everybody? 
I should take some time to make sure they understand. Anyone who says, Pastor, I want to get baptized, my first question is typically this. Why? Why do you want to be baptized? And I've had people look me and look across the table at me and look me dead in the eyes and say, because I want to go to heaven. Stop. They don't understand baptism. We need to back up. Let me explain justification. Let's explain redemption. Let's explain repentance so that you understand this water does nothing more than get you wet and paint a picture. It is not saving you. If I'm going to take those pains with baptism, ought I also take the same pains with Lord's Supper? If someone is going to partake of the Lord's Supper, I think I should take a moment to help them understand what is going on with this. This is not just a practice just to jump in and go, oh, goody, goody, we get crackers and juice at church tonight. Thank God that preacher's not going to preach too long. No, it's a lot more than that. There's a lot of weight that comes into this practice. And so first and foremost, someone ought to know Christ as their Savior. Second, they ought to be in right fellowship with the church. Well, Pastor, why in the world would you say that about baptism? I mean, it's not a really big deal. I mean, so they got, they got dunked. Who cares, really? Glad you asked. Because the Lord's Supper is consequential. There are things that come into play with the Lord's Supper. There are consequences, good and bad. Drop back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 with me. And I want you to notice something here. I love the sound of pages. I love that sound. You can't hear this. Well, sometimes you can and you wish you didn't. But... Take that as a hint. Look at uh, chapter number 10. Uh, drop down to verse uh, f- 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. I love the way the Apostle Paul writes some of these things. You ever notice how sometimes he inserts statements like this to kind of, it's like you put in, Five quarters in the piggy bank before you take one out, you know? And he's like, I'm talking to you all who are wise. And everybody's going, that's right. I am wise. And then he brings this up. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being... Many are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Catch what he's saying. One of the consequences, this is a good consequence. Not all consequences are bad. This is a good one. We have intimate fellowship with God. Some people may not approach the Lord's Supper this way. And I 
feel bad for them because they're missing something. But when I am handed that cracker or that little bit of juice, I am reminded of what he did for me. And as I am given the picture of his body being broken for me, I am reminded I am crucified with Christ. And as I'm looking at, into that little cup of juice, I am reminded he made a promise with me and I gave him everything in return. And there's communion that goes on there. We can go into that a whole lot deeper next time we're doing a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. But first, I want you to think about this. Those who partake appropriately experience intimate fellowship with God called communion, but those who partake in an unworthy fashion are guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Go back to chapter 11 with me now. We stopped reading at verse 26. Let's pick up at verse 27 now. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Now wait, because I know what's going through your mind because it goes through mind as well. Are any of us worthy? <laughs> In and of myself, but Christ makes me worthy. And so an unsaved individual ought not to pick up that, that cup and juice, and I ought to encourage them, just understand what's going on first. Continue with me. Whoever does this shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Not my words. So you don't like it, take it up with God. I want to be very careful that whoever I encourage to take of the Lord's Supper knows Him. Now, to understand what that unworthy really means, we've got to continue to go down through this. But let a man, verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We'll come back to that. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, the individual who does not have that intimate knowledge, does not have that understanding, does not discern what's going on, and they are partaking, they might very well be eating and drinking damnation to themselves, thinking that what they're doing might be earning their salvation. Or they might be taking it flippantly going, yep, I can take part of this. I can just join in. I know that what I'm doing and the way I'm living, I've already rejected Christ. I've already said no to all that, but just to suffice, people, I'll take. The Lord's Supper ought to be a very solemn occasion. It ought to be something that wakes us up in our minds. It ought to be something that we look at and we come to and we, we, we examine. Go back to verse 28. It says, let a man examine himself. 
It ought to be a time of self-examination. If I enter into the Lord's Supper without that moment of self-examination, whoa! And those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, how do they know how to examine themselves? The first part is examine yourself to find out if you truly are born again by the Spirit of God. If you can't get past that one, there's no need to go any further. The second is if I know that I am born again by the Spirit of God, am I obedient to Him? The Bible has several things that we are told to do. And in this study of church membership, one of those commands is baptism. And if I am willfully, purposefully rejecting to obey Him, now understand, I know, I understand that there are extenuating circumstances. So before you come up to me and say, well, what about the end of Edge? Just, just hold, hold the phone. Let's not make the blanket statements based on one or two individuals. There's exceptions, not rules, okay? And so, well, this guy, he's, uh, he's not able to leave his house, and he's not able to come in and stop. He can't make that decision. He can't choose whether or not he's being obedient in that situation. So second, those who partake unworthily are guilty. And third, those who do not properly prepare themselves to partake of the elements will bring God's discipline on their lives. This is usually where we stop. This is usually where we kind of come to a place where we say, well, I guess that's the end of it. But I want us to think just a little bit further in this. Because verse 28 calls us to examine ourselves and then eat. It doesn't say examine yourself and abstain. That indicates that during the examination process, Anything I see that would prevent me from partaking must be dealt with immediately and then go partake. It's not saying examine yourself, and if you see that you're not able to partake of the Lord's Supper, then just go on about your business, and maybe next month we'll roll around a better day. It says examine. Make sure you're not partaking unworthily and partake. So this time of examination, we should not take without discerning what the body and blood truly means. This self-examination is required lest we partake of it in an unworthy fashion. As I said, of course, all of us are unworthy, but the passage uh, reminds us of what Christ did for us, and because of Christ, it is now time for me to give myself a spiritual checkup, address any injuries, any faults, any wrongs, address them so that I can partake. Those who don't, who participate, will be disciplined by God. 
several ways that this can happen. Uh, conviction could set in. Circumstances, you remember Jonah's situation, his discipline. Hope you don't wake up in the belly of a whale next week. You never know. Chastisement. Look at what it says here in verse 30. For this cause, talking about people eating and drinking damnation of themselves. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There are people who, they reject obedience to the Lord. They get weak. Could be a spiritual weakness. Could actually be physical weakness. So the question then is, we who are able should obey. This is really where things kind of come into full circle here. Conviction, discipline, chastisement, they're all possible to those who ignore this. I want you to think about a couple points to ponder in this, and we're going to make our close. Anyone desirous to take of the Lord's Supper should do so with the right heart. The right heart. There's kind of a double whammy in this. If I come at the Lord's Supper and I examine myself and I see that there's a sin in my life that would prevent me from partaking in the Lord's Supper, I should not at that moment partake. Because to partake would be wrong. But here's the other side. To reject partaking of the Lord's Supper would be wrong because it would be a disobedience to the command of our Lord. So now I'm stuck. The Bible tells all that claim to be born again by the Spirit of God to partake. So when I notice I have a problem, I address it and partake. The beauty of the Lord's Supper, and here at our church, we have it monthly. So once a month, everybody who claims to be born again by the Spirit of God, who has followed the Lord and believers' baptism, has come and they have attached themselves. We all get a wonderful opportunity as a body together to examine ourselves, to take a spiritual checkup, to get that spiritual thermometer. And every single one of us have the opportunity at least once a month, we ought to be doing it daily, but at least once a month, we are reminded of what Christ did on the cross for you, what he that his body was broken, Broken, that he poured out every, every drop of blood, that he bled and died for you, and you are given an opportunity at the Lord's table to come and be reminded of that and ask God, am I worthy to partake of this? And when I see no, there's a sin in my life, I attack that sin, and I take. That's the beauty of the Lord's Supper. So many people, they make it a matter of just, should we drink wine or grape juice? Should we use oyster crackers? It's not about that. It's about him.
Make it practical. Look with me at verse 26. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till He come. Through the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the gospel. When our kids sit beside us, Dad, why we got juice going all around the place? Why is everybody grabbing one of these crackers? Oh, son, let me tell you what Jesus did. When a visitor walks in and sees, what kind of weird thing is this? Oh, <laughs> let me tell you about my Jesus. We proclaim the gospel. We need to know the gospel. And then we need to proclaim it. Second, I love this part. The second half of verse 26 says, You do show the Lord's death till He come. <laughs> we do this in anticipation for Christ's return. I look back on what He did on the cross as many years ago for me. And as I'm taking going, thank you for the justification. And thank you for this moment where I am being shown what I need to change and for the sanctification. And I'm looking forward to the day that you return and glorification. You see how it all plays in? I'm reminded of justification. Thank you for justifying me. I'm being sanctified. Thank you for sanctifying me. And I'm looking forward to glorification when he returns. And people think this is a man-made religion. Ain't no man on earth smart enough to come up with that. <laughs> Only God. Only He could give to us such a beautiful picture. Father, thank You for sending to us Your Son to die on that cross for our sins. But He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, proving He is God. Thank You for the gift of this ordinance in the Lord's Supper to remind us of what You've done to wake us up moment by moment, every chance we get to confess and forsake sin and to look forward to Your soon coming. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. 
You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.